Well, we know God saves to sanctify His people. He's given them a week-long celebration. Remember in Exodus chapter 12, starting with the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and we're going to continue in Exodus 13 this morning. We find further instruction from the Lord through Moses uh, to His people as they are leaving Egypt. And uh, what we've learned, these verses in chapter 13 are really going to reinforce this, is that there are certain practice, certain patterns that will be part of life for God's chosen people. Uh, they're people that belong to Him. They're set apart to Him. Uh, they have cast off, they are to cast off the leaven of Egypt uh, in service to their new master. And you may recall back in Exodus chapter 4, uh, the people of Israel are referred to uh, by God as His firstborn son. And if Pharaoh would not release his firstborn son, then we know what happens to the firstborn in Egypt. So we're going to hear some more of this firstborn language in chapter 13. I'm going to read the first couple of verses and then more detail in 11 through 16. The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers, and shall give it to you, you shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. And when in time to come your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that first opened the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be as a mark on your hand or frontlets between your eyes, for by a strong hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for this, your word. A word that guides us, that teaches us, a word that encourages us and warns us. We take great confidence and comfort now that you are working your word to perform it. That you, Lord, will use this word in our hearts, our minds, and in our lives to accomplish your purpose. So we pray that we would be receptive now to your word, that you would speak faithfully through your servant as we trust you to do this work in our lives. Uh, we need your help, Holy Spirit. Come now. Uh, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Freedom is costly. Forgiveness is costly. A life free to serve Christ in our new master is costly. I think of uh, the U.S. housing market crash about a decade ago now, it exposed a lot of corporate corruption, a lot of practices that were a lot of fraudulent practices in, in lending and a real lack of oversight under many large banks, large companies in our country. Uh, and when this came to light, of course, there's a huge turnover in leadership and policies are tweaked and tightened along the way, but the damage is already done. These large banks and other other companies had a huge debt that they simply could not repay. I think I read Bank of America owed like $17 billion that it, what's it going to do? 
But somebody has to pay. It doesn't just disappear. And so the U.S. government determined that these banks and these companies were, quote, too big to fail. And if they're too big to fail, well, then they decide to bail them out to cover this massive debt. $700 billion government dollars, which translates into taxpayer dollars, uh, injected into this system, which I don't even pretend to understand. But it was the most expensive, most costly bailout of human history. So we, we can say that a debt has been covered. Uh, we can say that forgiveness has been extended, but someone always has to pay for the pain and the damages of sin. So this instruction concerning the, the firstborn of all the families in, in uh, Israel, along with their animals, um, it shows them a need, a debt that must be paid. The life they now live uh, free of Egypt comes at a great cost. Shows us our need. That a great price has been paid for our freedom and our adoption into the family of God. So how does the text actually show us this? And it does so through consecration and redemption. Those are the two lenses we're going to take here, the two headings. Consecrate and redeem. The Lord says, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever is the first to open the womb, both of man and of beast is mine. So these are to be treated differently, God says. They have a special use. They're set apart unto me. Which begs the question, it's a good question, well, don't they belong to God already? Aren't they already His? And the obvious answer to that question actually underlines the point. The firstborn does belong to God, along with the rest of the family. And so God's not showing a favoritism or partiality here, but, but the firstborn has special responsibilities within the family. They were to manage a much larger portion of the inheritance so that the future of the family is largely attached to the firstborn. If you see any of those sports teams on the, on the sidelines, maybe you've caught some of the World Cup action, but you see some of them have a, a C on their jersey. Okay? They're, they're the captain. They've been recognized and designated as such in this position of leadership. So they make a call and the whole team sort of follows. You might think of the role of the firstborn in Hebrew families acting much like that. When God says that the firstborn is His, He's saying that the whole family is His and that He has a right to the first and to the best of what He's given to His people. And this would be true for the spoils of war. Think of the conquest of Canaan that's yet to come in the story. And Joshua leading the people as they march to Jericho, march around Jericho. Uh, here's, here's what Joshua said. He issued this order. Shout, for the Lord has given you the city, and the city and all that is within it, it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Here's the same idea. De devoted. These spoils were set apart to the Lord. Not to be used for whatever the people wanted to use them for. The first fruits of the harvest were to be given to God. We're going to read about that later in Exodus. Now the first of the male offspring is to be set apart. And in this practice, once they're in the promised land, would really instill in the people a priority, an honor that's given to God. 
God gets the first. By doing this, we're, we're submitting, we're turning over what He has graciously given to us. also expresses a real thanksgiving to the one who has saved them. You know, we, we tend to give to those that we honor, those that we love. We'll give what we value to those that we value. We'll come back to that in a little bit. But God gives this instruction really as a built-in reminder for His people of who they belong to, that He claims full ownership. He's already said that Israel is His firstborn, and as the true Israel of God continues to grow and children of Abraham are raised up in faith, there are more and more who look to Him and see Him as their Father. The church includes all, we've said this a few times already today, all, includes all adopted sons and daughters of God. There's the Spirit of God in these children, in us, that speaks, that testifies to our adoption. We find this in Romans chapter 8, Galatians 4. There's a shift that takes place. A new realization when, we've, when we leave Egypt, that life of, of sin behind, we walk in allegiance to our new master. We see the one who, who owns us in a new way. We're made by God, which means we've always belonged to Him. That hasn't changed. But like a child who runs away from home. You can go to Luke chapter 15 for more on that picture. We do not see or acknowledge our Creator, the one who owns us, as the Father He is. Until He rescues us by a strong hand from the slavery of our sin. We see our old Master as Father. Jesus said so when he was speaking to the Pharisees in John chapter 8. That you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. But those desires change once we've been delivered. Saved by the gracious hand of our God. So we can cry, oh Father, you've made me. I belong to you. My desire is to serve you. I've missed you. There's such a, such a wonder in the words of the resurrected Jesus, as he says to Mary, go to my brothers. He doesn't say go to the disciples or go to Peter, James, and John. Go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father. To my God and your God. So we see and we worship God as our Creator, our Lord of all, the One who is holy, transcendent, we fear before Him. But let's not lose sight of the nearness. Just how personal this rescue is. I mean, as a father just scoops up his child, so are you, Christian, held tightly in the arms of your Heavenly Father. So the Lord God is our Father. He made us and He redeems us. You know, the Lord's goal in this consecration of the firstborn. It's not so he can just keep all of the firstborn children and firstborn animals for himself. You know, he's kind of zapped them up to heaven or uh, something like that. They already belong to him. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the psalmist says. Translation, all belongs to him already. But this consecration and redemption shows his supremacy. It shows his worth. He's to be worshipped for His grace, for His provision. So God claims full ownership, which means He decides 
what he's going to do with what belongs to him. And this takes us from consecration to redemption. To set apart the animals in verse 12 would mean to sacrifice them to the Lord, to offer up a firstborn calf or a lamb or a goat kid uh, to the Lord in sacrifice. But then those firstborn beasts of, of burden, like a donkey, it still belonged to the Lord as a firstborn, but one of two things uh, could be done. The people could redeem this animal by sacrificing another acceptable animal in its place, or they could kill it. So three options here for the firstborn animals. Sacrifice, keep and sacrifice another one, or kill. So not, not all the firstborn animals were actually brought to the tabernacle, or brought to the temple. That would be uh, quite overwhelming on the system. And so God graciously gives the people this option. They, they can kill the firstborn animal uh, themselves, the unclean animals, um, if they're not going to be redeemed. We could say the same is true for the firstborn male children. But of these three options, two of them are really untenable, right? The children are not to be sacrificed to Yahweh as the pagan sacrifices. They would sacrifice their children to false gods. They were not to be killed just as an affront to God's character, as His image bearers, thou shalt not murder, we know this. Which leaves one option. A redeeming price must be paid for the firstborn. Another sacrifice must be made for this firstborn child. Uh, and we look here, uh, verse 13 doesn't say uh, specifically, uh, implies that, that the redemption price would be a lamb as it was for the donkey. Later in Numbers 18, there's, uh, there's more specific direction on this uh, redeeming price. Let me read a few verses from Numbers 18. Everything that opens the womb of all flesh, whether man or beast, which they offer to the Lord, shall be yours. Nevertheless, the firstborn of man you shall redeem, and the firstborn of unclean animals you shall redeem. And their redemption price, at a month old you shall redeem them, uh, you shall fix at five shekels in silver, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, which is twenty geras. But the firstborn of a cow, or the firstborn of a sheep, or the firstborn of a goat, you shall not redeem, they are holy. You shall sprinkle their blood on the altar and shall burn their fat as a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. So there was a sacrifice for the family, uh, for this redemption. We read five shekels of silver was the redeeming price for the firstborn son. I think in Luke chapter 2, as Joseph and Mary are taking the young Jesus to the temple, um, they brought a sacrifice for the purification according to the law, but you know, unless they intended to, to leave the one-month-old Jesus there in, uh, to, to be raised in the care of the temple, which is not the common practice, we can rightly assume that they, that they paid this ransom for Jesus. Um, and that, that word is intentional because there's a, there's a subtlety in the language here in verse 13. Really throughout uh, Exodus, three times in verse 13, what we translate oftentimes as redeem, or what we would expect for that word, is not what we see here in chapter 13. It's, it's the word for ransom. Um, they overlap, very similar in their meaning. But the redeeming price should be thought about as a ransom. Uh, ransom for the sentence of death upon this firstborn. 
So the Lord graciously allows his people to ransom, to buy back what he's given to them that ultimately belongs to him. So why would he do this? To repeatedly show that they've been rescued. Ransomed by the death of the unblemished lamb. So with, with every firstborn came that catechism lesson. They would teach this to their children who are rightly asking, what's going on here? I like this sheep. I'd like, I, I wanted to keep this animal. And my son, my daughter, we are God's chosen. His firstborn, rescued from slavery. We faithfully keep this as a practice. Reminds us of God's grace. Reminds us of God's power. Can, can you imagine how this would have been received by young Hebrew families? I mean, here's a young family maybe waiting for a child. And then they're given this child... They're given a firstborn male, someone to, to carry on the family line. And now they have to give this child back to God as an offering, who then graciously gives it back through this redeeming price. I mean, they're going to learn very quickly that their children belong to God. But they do not belong to them. And we recognize this today through uh, the sacrament of, of baptism that our children, male and female, under the gracious and better covenant in Christ, belong to God, belong among God's people. And some of you have seen or experienced the dedication of children uh, in the church. And there's sometimes passages like this, in Exodus 13, are used to, to support this practice. Um, and if it were a true dedication or consecration, then a sacrifice or payment would need to be made. But our, our contemporary uh, dedications are really giving thanks to God, a form of, uh, of asking the Lord's blessing upon our children, acknowledging that they rightly belong to Him. Um, so parents, let's keep this in mind. God has, God has entrusted you with His children to raise them for His glory, for His service. Uh, those, those who are not biological parents, spiritual parents, God places His children into the care of His people. We're all completely dependent upon Him for salvation and for sanctification. Our children do not exist for us or for our benefit. Some of us may need to sit on that one for a little while. Our children may provide great benefit, but they don't exist for that purpose. They belong to God. They exist for Him. We must give them over, sometimes daily. Right? to their perfect heavenly father. Think of Genesis 22. We find that Abraham understood this in a very profound way. His firstborn child, the child of promise, and this, this miracle baby, really. And God says, he's mine. Take him to the mountain for a sacrifice. He learned that my, my son Isaac is even more God's son, Isaac. God's son, Lucas. God's son, Andrew. God's son, Gabe. God's son, Christopher. Even more than John's son. Even more than Boyd's son. Even more than Howard's son. So we... we 
We mentioned the importance of instructing the generations to come as we've gone through these chapters. We can unroll that even more here in verses 14 and 15. And when in time your son asks you, are your children asking questions? They probably are, because young ones are are designed by God with this inquisitive nature. They want to know what's happening. They want to know what big brother and big sister are doing, why they're doing that, why the family is doing this. And our homes should be a safe place for that. They should be a welcoming place to ask those types of questions. What does this mean? Why are we doing this? And, and the younger ones, I recognize, need, need to learn and and trust and submit to the authority that God has established, but they don't need to be much older before they start hearing those godly answers, gospel answers to their questions. If all they're hearing is because I'm your mom or I'm your dad and I said so. Again, there's a time for that. But if that becomes the norm, then they're still going to be asking the questions, but they're going to be looking for answers elsewhere. The answers need to come from your home, the family of God. This just shapes everything. Our children need to hear that, that they belong to God and not to us. That they belong to God and not to themselves. I mean, can you imagine? <laughs> can you imagine for ourselves, for one thing, but, but for our children, for our, as they grow, for our, our, our older children, our teenagers, our young adults, making decisions with the full acceptance that they belong to God first and foremost and not themselves. I mean, that is foundational. There, there aren't many decisions. I guess you know, there are some, what you're going to eat for lunch or whatever, um, that could be made. But there aren't many decisions that, that shouldn't be filtered through that question. Who do I really belong to? Who do I belong to that, that moves me in this direction? Moves me in this direction. To know that as, as a church, as the firstborn of God, we have been redeemed, we've been bought with a price. God the Father offered up His firstborn, we read in Colossians 1, to be the redeemer of His children. The only begotten firstborn for the adopted firstborn. The blood of Jesus is that redeeming price. Read Mark's Gospel, right from the lips of Jesus. Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. To give His life as a, there's the word, ransom for many. The Apostle Paul uses this language and this concept all over the place. 1 Corinthians 6, you were bought with a price, so glorify God. Next chapter, you were bought with a price, and do not be enslaved. So with this, we get another layer to the sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf. Another layer to this necessity of the blood. It's our Passover lamb, so he makes atonement for our sin, covering our greatest need, which is life from death. Propitiates, turns aside God's wrath, but his blood is also the payment. The redeeming price that he requires for his firstborn, all who belong to him. Again, there's no, no Christian, there's no Christian worship that does not acknowledge the need of the redeeming blood of the Lamb. It must be there. So, brothers and sisters, if there is anything, is there anything more dear to us? 
Anything more valuable to us than the redeeming love of our God. Nothing should invoke a higher praise. Thanksgiving to the Lord for this price. The price has been paid. He's given His firstborn. What could we possibly withhold and say, Lord, this is just too precious for for you to touch right now? More precious than His Son? And the ransom that's been paid. You know, I mentioned the government bailout a decade ago as the most costly bailout in human history, but is, you know, is that really true? <laughs> I mean, it is, and you know, thinking of the resources maybe that the government and the White House had to, had to cover. Um, but the most costly bailout of human history took place at a cross. The most outrageous debt forgiveness plan the world has ever known. God Himself covering a debt that could never be repaid. Freedom from the bondage of sin, from death. It's costly. And the blood of Jesus is the ransom. It's the greatest price that could be paid. And God has done this so that we can worship Him, that we can glorify Him in all of life, that we might be called His sons and His daughters, children of the Heavenly Father. And if you call on Him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb, without blemish or spot. Father, Uh, Could it really be that you uh, love us so much that you would give your firstborn, your only begotten, for us? Lord, we praise you that the ransom has been paid, not with these tangible things that we see and touch with with the precious blood of your Son. Lord, we thank you for this indescribable gift, for your mercy and your grace that abounds to us. We celebrate anew on this day that redeeming love as we cry out to you, our Heavenly Father. And we do this in the name of Christ for His sake, for His glory. Amen.